The passage which we will be reading and then that I will preach from is about temptation. It's a powerful text and it's it's an experience that we all face. And I hope and pray that the Lord will use these words to transform our lives even now. The word of God beginning in verse 12 of James 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we need these words, and we need so much your Holy Spirit to encourage us and transform our lives. We've each entered this place today, and we are men and women and children who are known by you, who face temptations. And, oh, Lord, we need you to rescue us. We really do. We're desperate. We pray that you would open our eyes to see and our mind to hear the glory of the gospel, to see the beauty of our risen Savior Jesus, to live for him because he lived for us, to love him because he first loved us. Show us this, O Lord, again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to begin by making a list in your mind right now of the temptations that you already felt this day. You're not alone, but I want you to sincerely think for a moment about those temptations. What are they? I'm tempted right now towards irritation, anger, distraction, noise. Why? I wouldn't have said that at the 9.30 service, but things happen in between services sometimes. It wasn't because anybody said anything inappropriate to me, except for my wife. I rarely see her in between services, but I saw her downstairs when I went to refill my water. It was a sweet encounter. Hey. And my seven-year-old was with her. So happy to see your daddy. And then my wife said, hey, something's wrong with the sprinkler system in the backyard. And it's like a river flowing down the alley. (laughs) I'm tempted to be on Stanford Avenue in the alley right now in my mind. As there's a river, and it's probably not a river of love, flowing down (laughs) the alley. Tempted to worry. What is wrong? Is it a broken pipe? How much is that going to cost? You know, all those things, instead of being present. And then I step up to do the call to worship, and my knee catches the cord. Did you hear it? And my mic rips from the collar onto the floor. I step on the mic. Did you hear it? Thankfully, it was muted very quickly. All of a sudden, things seem to be getting a little bit chaotic, right? Sometimes that means that the enemy is really upset with what I said in the last hour. And what I'm about to say now, and he will be, and he should be each week, because we proclaim truth. But this morning, I want you to know that what the Lord has laid on my heart is meant to really offer you the truth and how to fight against real temptation. You know, temptation is something that we all experience. If you didn't make a list just a moment ago, you could have and you should, we're all tempted. And James speaks about it in a very powerful 
in a profound way. And I'm going to look at this text, and I'm going to go to other, a couple of other texts as well. But I want to begin by talking about four things and then coming to a conclusion that answers this question, how do we fight temptation? But the first four things I want to talk about are under the title, Temptations, Temptation. Here's what I mean by that. James says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James has already been talking about trials. And there is a difference between trials and temptations, though temptations are the form of a trial. God brings trials into our lives. But one of the things that James makes very clear is that we are not to blame God for the temptations. Here's why. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. That's temptation's temptation. Temptation's temptation is for us to blame someone for the temptations that we are experiencing. If we're going through a trial, it's easy to be tempted towards a whole host of things. Despair, anger, blame, frustration, irritation, a whole host of things. But what we must understand is though temptation's temptation is to blame others, we shouldn't do that first. James says it this way. No one should say I'm being tempted by God for not, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So when we're tempted, our temptation is to blame God. Our temptation is also to blame others. Think about Adam. When Adam was in the garden, Eve heard the voice of the serpent. The first question of the Bible was the serpent's question, Satan's question. Did God really say? That was the temptation. It always is. Did God really say? Eve quoted scripture back. The devil continued to deceive. She took the fruit and she gave some to Adam. They both ate. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked and they hid. When God moves in and asks his first question, it's where are you? Adam then speaks. Adam says, we were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. God's Second question, third question of the Bible, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to? Now watch what Adam does. Adam says, the woman you put here with me. So who's Adam blaming? Yes. It's easy to see, always blaming Eve. The woman you put her with me, she gave some to me. It reveals quickly the broken relationship between man and woman, but also between man and God, and even man and himself. The woman you put here with me. That great gift that God gave her to help him. The woman you put here with me. You put here with me. The temptation is to blame others. James doesn't give us that out. James tells us the source. He says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, grown, brings forth death. So temptation's temptation is to blame others. James, at this point in his letter, doesn't even go to blaming Satan. Now, Satan is to blame. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is the great tempter. 
But James goes to us. James says it is when desires that are within us, when they are conceived, they give birth to sin. So whatever temptation you are facing, whatever temptations you face this day, they're tempting you because there is a desire that is inside you for things that are displeasing to God. Here's how it works. Before you were a Christian, before I was a Christian, every Christian has the same story at one level or another. We did not choose Jesus. We did not say, I want to follow Jesus. There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then there is the work of the Spirit in the life of every Christian. When suddenly the light goes on, the Holy Spirit illuminates the heart and mind, and we realize we do want to follow Jesus. You only want to follow Jesus. I only wanted to follow Jesus because he first loved me. And because of that incredible love for us, suddenly the heart has changed. It's a new heart because you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now you can actually say, I do want to follow Jesus. And you do if you're in Christ, don't you? Don't you want so much to love him well? Don't you desire to honor him with your life? Don't you truly want to have people pray the same thing that Dick wanted people to pray for him? that we would be more in love with Jesus than anything else. I want that. But that's not the whole story. When I die and go to heaven, that's all I'm going to want. But this side of heaven, I am still tempted to want other things. To want things that the Lord does not delight in. Things that the Lord does not want for me. And when I'm tempted, I need to see that it's not just from Satan. It's also from the desires that are within me. Which leads to my second point. We're not just tempted to blame others. We're also tempted to minimize the danger of temptation. And especially in the Bible Belt. Here's what I mean. James tells us, going back to verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. By his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Think about temptation for a minute. What's the point of it? We're told by Peter that we have an enemy, and the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. What does he use? Well, he uses temptation. But the reason that temptations work is because there's desires in us that are not yet fully glorified. There are things in us that still desire the things of the flesh. It's the battle that exists, right? It's the already and the not yet. Paul said it, the things that I don't want to do, I do do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. And we're tempted towards those because there's desires in us that are still not right. And that's why they're tempting. What we need to admit is that the purpose of temptation is not just to mess with our lives a little bit. It's not just to make them uncomfortable a bit. It is death. The purpose of temptation is death and destruction. But the enemy knows that. And the desires within us don't think of it quite that way because we don't flush it all the way out. 
But here's how the story goes. A man ends up in my office. And in my office, he confesses to being unfaithful. Unfaithful to the one he promised to always be faithful to. And so we begin to talk. And inevitably, I'm going to ask, what happened? When did it happen? And it always begins with the temptation that wasn't near as great or as severe as the sin that he is now in. It started smaller. In fact, it might not have even been a physical temptation. It might have been with an attitude towards his wife or, or something along those lines. Temptation born out of our desires is present and it's dangerous. Temptation, and Robbie set this up so beautifully in his prayer of confession, our prayer of confession. Temptation always promises life. Go back to the very first one. You will be like God, knowing. Temptation always promises life. But the truth is, it delivers death. James says so. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I'm sure many of you have heard the story of how to catch a monkey. The first time I ever heard the story was from Tim Tinsley. Tim was here. It was the second Sunday my wife and I and our three kids at the time were in Dallas. It's our second Sunday at this church. Tim was actually teaching a, a large Sunday school special event class. It was a three-week series titled Sex as an Act of Worship. It drew a crowd. <laughs> Lots of people were there. And I'll never forget that Sunday. Tim took a fishing pole, and he had a lure, and he began to cast it out into the crowd. I couldn't believe he was doing it. Whew, hooks and all, right into the crowd, and he was pulling it back in. He said, this is the enemy. The enemy is just casting lures, bait, whatever he might use to entice you and then drag you away. He then went on to tell the story of how to catch monkeys in South America, and it's certainly true in other parts of the world. If you don't believe me, you can Google it later and watch. But certain types of monkeys will grab hold of something, and they want it so bad that they won't let go of it. And what happens is the natives, if they want to catch a monkey, to either use it for something as much as food or sell it to a zoo or to someone else that wants a monkey, they will dig a hole in the root of a tree. They'll take a, a coconut the size of a football and drill a hole in it. And they'll put a banana or something else that the monkey wants inside. The hole is big enough for the monkey to slip his hand in. But if the monkey makes a fist and clings to whatever's inside, he can't get it out. And the monkey won't let go. The monkey will stay gripping whatever it is until he's exhausted. And then when he reaches the point of exhaustion, the person will come over, put a noose around its neck, a little leash, a collar, and take the monkey away. That's what happens. We're drawn to things because of desires that we have that are not good. And when we cling to them, the cost is great. The consequence is great. We actually, as it says, are lured away. The NIV, I believe, translates it, we are dragged away. And not towards life, but towards death. So temptation's temptation is to blame others. It's also to minimize the danger of temptation. But temptation's temptation is also to feel alone when we are tempted. 
I think this is very important. Whatever list you are making in your mind right now about the temptations that you are facing, you are not alone. There's no temptation that you are experiencing right now as a child of God, as a Christian, that is unique just to you. But the enemy's great lie, the enemy's temptation beyond the initial temptation is that you are alone. And if you confess this to even your closest friends or to your spouse, you would not be accepted. You would be rejected. They wouldn't believe that could be true about you. They would judge you. They wouldn't know what to do with you. They might tell others about you. Temptation's temptation is to feel alone in the temptation. But listen to what Christianity offers. Paul speaking to the people of Corinth in chapter 10 and verse, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, no temptation. So let's just parse this out. No temptation. None. There is no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, man's condition is that we have desires for things that are opposed to the Word and the person of God. And those temptations that you face, whatever they are, towards people-pleasing, towards anger, towards lust, towards materialism, towards greed, towards things that you're not doing, that you ought to be doing, advancing the gospel, loving well. None of them are unique to you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's the gospel. Our Lord is not the author of these temptations. James tells us that, but he is the author of the rescue from them. The Lord provides the way out every time. Every time we're tempted, he provides the way out. But so often we don't experience that way out because we feel so isolated in our temptation. In fact, so isolated that we're often not honest with who we are even to him. Fourth reality of this temptation is that we're not tempted to feel alone only, but when we do feel alone, we're tempted then to fight alone. Near the end of James, no longer speaking of just temptation, but of sin, you know what James is going to exhort the people to? He's going to exhort the people to confess their sins to one another so that they'll know how to pray for one another. Sins are born when temptation has been conceived from the desires that are in us, and then sin is born, and sin leads to destruction. James says, confess your sins so you'll know how to pray for one another. My friend, whatever temptation you're facing right now, you're not alone. You're tempted to feel alone, and if you're tempted to feel alone, then you're probably fighting alone. Don't fight alone. You and I were not made to fight alone. In fact, we can't fight alone. But temptation's temptation is you can only fight alone. Because if you tell somebody, 
They're not going to fight with you. They'll become your enemy. And so what happens as we keep things to ourselves, we minimize how dangerous it is, we feel alone, and then we fight alone. And you know what happens? That in and of itself is sin, and the destruction is born. Let me give you a very powerful example. Just a few years before I moved here, I spent a lot of time with an elder in my church that I loved deeply, respected so much. Not long after we moved here, I heard a story that shook me to the core, deeply to the core. The story was that this man was driving with his wife of probably 35 years at that time from St. Louis to Kansas City, just a weekend getaway. And as they were driving down the highway, she saw a sign, and the sign said, Pornography destroys. Not suspecting that this had ever been an issue in his life, not suspecting that it was now an issue in his life, she simply said, do you ever struggle with pornography? I know it's a big deal for a lot of men. He wasn't prepared. And neither was she for what she was about to hear. Before their marriage, it started the beginning of their marriage started. Throughout their marriage it started. When he was ordained as an elder, it was happening. When he stood up and taught Sunday school classes, it was happening. There wasn't a period of time in any given week over 40 years of his life that it was not a regular part of his life. What a mess. But because he is God's man, a beloved child of God, because the Lord won't let go of his grip on his children. He used a moment, a moment which he was not prepared for, and he was a master at hiding. A moment when a billboard had been put up and a wife suddenly saw it and asked a simple question. He wasn't prepared to hide from, and suddenly he says, as he pulls off, I need to talk. And he begins to unveil the horror of this deeply disconnected life. He had been fighting alone because he felt so alone. He didn't feel alone that other men struggle with such sins, but he felt alone that there's no other elder in our church that might be struggling. There's no other elder in this denomination that might be struggling. And all the people who have heard me so eloquently speak about doctrine and theology and truth, they could never believe I've struggled with this. He felt alone, so he fought alone. But the Lord wins because the Lord's fight is ultimate. And in that moment, his wife and the whore she was about to hear extended grace to him and said, you're not alone. We're not alone. I don't know what this is going to mean, but we're going to get help. And they did. They're still married. Their marriage is amazing. He stepped down from the session, appropriately so, but he's been restored. God's grace has been sufficient. I tell you that story because we're so like him. And it may not be in that particular area of sin, but it might be in anxiety. Anxiety leads to death. It might be in gossip and slander. It leads to death. It might be in envy and coveting. It leads to death. And if we could see at the beginning of the temptation where it leads, 
we would see it's not what we ultimately want. It's not the life that is promised. So lastly, how do we fight? If you're a Christian, you have been rescued. That rescue is a a once and for all saving act of the perfect life, death, resurrection, reign, and promised return of Jesus. You're in him. If you're not a Christian, you do not have that promise. But if you are, you're in him. He has rescued you. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I believe it's because he might be moving towards you to reveal that rescue in your life. Christian, this is for you. Your rescue from a salvation standpoint was once and for all. But this side of heaven, because you and I still have desires for things that do not please the Lord, we have the offer of this daily, moment-by-moment rescue from our Lord. Our Lord tells us in His Holy Word that He is faithful. He will provide a way out. The way out is Him. It's his rescue. It is you and I coming to him, not even alone, but as the body of Christ saying, would you please protect me, deliver me, lead me not into temptation by keeping me from those schemes of the evil one. The Lord provides a way out. And the way out is his rescue. So when those temptations come, and they will, they will all the way until we see him in glory. When they come, Run to Jesus. When they come, look upon Jesus on the cross. Look at the one who died for your sin, who had blood upon his brow, not just because of the beatings that took place, but because in the garden, Jesus was tempted, tempted to not go through with what the Father had called him to. The pressure and the temptation was so great that his body glistened blood, but he went through with it. He went through with it so that we could see for reality what James says at the beginning of this text. When James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You're in Jesus. You're going to receive this crown. You received this crown because he wore the crown. The crown of thorns and the crown of a king. You receive this help from him because he bled for you, suffering. But he also suffered when he was tempted. Hebrews says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is, listen to this, he is able to help those who are being tempted right now. He alone can deliver you. He alone. No one else. And he died to do it. And he reigns as king to do it. Because he loves you. And because he loves you, Christian, you and I are able to say, I love you too. Indeed, Jesus, the deepest desire of my heart is not for these tempting lies, but it really is for you. I want to end our service with a moment of silence followed by some very beautiful music. 
I want you to be still and not open your bulletin, not look, just be still. And I want you to take those temptations that are on your heart and mind now, and I want you to take them to the cross and ask the Lord to help you as he has promised to do. Let's take a minute now. Dear friend, be still. Be quiet and know that he is God.